Tony, Derrick Henry, my God. And I know everybody's going to want to say Tannehill. Tannehill's terrific. Tannehill, over a certain period of time, has been as good as any quarterback in the league. Derrick Henry, man, it's a throwback team. It's great for people of our age to watch. Actually, Tannehill, over a certain period of time, has been the best quarterback in the league. Since the beginning of last year, he is the highest rated quarterback in the entire NFL. Since he took over starting, he has 35 touchdown passes and only seven interceptions, and he has five running touchdowns. So together, Henry, who, by the way, took a direct snap for the winning I'm margin in overtime. Play. And people just bounced off them. <laughs> Those two make that team really, really they good. Do. Tennessee right. is man, really good. They're good, man. Really good. They're good in a 1970s sort of way. They are, man. I love watching them. What the hell is that? Hey, Stone on Air. If you are not listening to Brian Stone, who has been a fixture in Chattanooga for years, you better be, or I'm going to ask you personally why you're not. I'm so they were like, Brian! Yeah, <laughs> Brian! Yeah. Yes, my name is Brian! Finally, it's cool to be a Chattanoogan. Finally, it's cool to embrace this city. When some of us have been saying this for 25 years... Mic drop, turn off the podcast. Stone on air. Yeah, just kill me now. Welcome in, everybody. How in the world are you? On this 21st of... October or whichever day you consume the podcast. Happy whatever day that is. My name is Brian Stone. This is the Stone On Air podcast. You likely already know that. It is the supposed for-profit venture that is, generally speaking, in weekly installments. That's the idea anyway, but a lot going on recently, and um, there won't be... My goal is to have a podcast next week. There will not be a podcast on uh, the week of, or at least on the Wednesday of the election, because I just I, I just don't see that happening. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the election and my predictions for two weeks from right now. Um, if you listen regularly, you already pretty much know where I'm going or what I'm going to say about it, but uh, that's going to be a very, very potentially dangerous week. It's certainly going to be an unprecedented week. And um, for some people, it might be a little scary. I uh, don't even know what I mean yet, but uh, or by that. But um, maybe more on that as I go along here. Um, let's see. What am I going to do here? I don't have a whole lot for you today. I've got a lot of audio, some stuff I used on the radio, speaking of Donald Trump and um, his, his rhetoric style that he uses. It's so effective. I've got an author of a book called um, Demagogue for President, The Rhetorical Genius of... Trump, Donald Trump. I'm going to play some audio uh, from her. Her name is, I don't have it in front of me right now. It's coming up here in the next segment. And um, it's pretty interesting stuff. The genius of Donald Trump, and she's not being, you know, she's not being condescending. She she means genius in the literal sense. So get to that in the second, uh, second segment. In the final segment of the show, I will um, play uh, seven or eight clips of TikTok videos that I've just been saving and kind of piling up. I'm not going to have a worst idea or coolest thing or uh, any of those things here in the open segment. This open actually will be pretty uh, short probably. And um, I'm just going to do that on the way out because they're just kind of piling up and I'm obsessed with TikTok. I love it. I love it more than almost anything else as an entertainment source. It is great. 
so much creativity there. Um, I don't know how. I want to start learning how to make these videos. I um, uh, I made dinner tonight for the first time ever. I made something from scratch as just my thrown together idea, and it was actually really good. And I got the idea from a TikTok video I saw. One of my favorites are I'm now starting to follow all these. I mean, I guess they're they somehow monetize this. I'm not sure how, but they're these cooks, and they make these one minute videos that are just that are so well done and so funny a lot of the times, and just mesmerizingly just delicious and entertaining. And so I saw somebody how they made a a, a chicken breast stuffed chicken breast wrapped in prosciutto. And I'm sitting there thinking at home, well, I know I got some prosciutto, and I know I got some chicken breasts, and I know I got cheese and seasonings and oils and all these other things. And, you know, they don't, they go so fast, it's not like you can get the recipe and just make it. Or I guess you can if you follow their websites or follow their Twitters, or I, I don't know, because I don't even know who these people are. I don't really care who they are. And I just went home based on that one video I saw. It's simple stuff. I just suck at cooking. I am a terrible, terrible cook i mean it is i'm it's, it's shamefully bad and you know coming from a somebody who likes to have a creative unique approach to everything i do in life at least that's the goal to not be able to you know craft together something worth eating is a little shameful but um i threw this together didn't even i just kind of made it up as i went i just made up the degrees on the on the oven made up how much time i thought it was going to take and it turned out effing delicious it was fantastic it's like tiktok is changing my life in uh, so many ways and um anyway so more on that or just more tiktok uh, audio in the final segment of the show so um again i'll wrap this one up pretty quick and get right to it i'm not gonna talk baseball so jeremy mahoney who hates baseball so much uh, this is this is not about the x's and o's of the game this is a uh, just an acknowledgement that I was so, so wrong, dead wrong about my flippant nature of saying, I don't even care if they play sports this year. I don't care if the baseball season just says, screw it. I don't want a 60-game season. I don't want an expanded playoff. I don't want hokey rules. I don't want, uh, I, I, I don't care if you play football. I don't care about any of it. I don't care about bubbles or basketball or hockey or anything. Doesn't matter to me. It's not going to be entertaining. Now, I still mean that for basketball and hockey, but I barely care about basketball and hockey anyway. That's like the, you know, the person who's, I'm never watching the NBA again. We aren't watching it anyway. Shut up. So those don't really count. I watch some NBA finals when LeBron's in it, but the pomp and circumstance really does make basketball for me work for me as I am a just barely fringe fan. I mean, I'm a fan's not even the right word. Just an observer of the sport. And uh, hockey only if the Predators or somebody interesting is making making any kind of noise. But I was wrong with football. Boy, football has been a nice thing to have back in our lives. And I was totally wrong about baseball. I that that run the Braves just made was some of the most exhausting television time sports watching of my life. Of my life. It feels like the Cincinnati Reds series, the the opening three game series was like two months ago. I have been so stressed. My anxiety levels have been so, so high. 
I just I haven't seen this as as an adult. A, a National League Championship Series run against, and I'm no no hyperbole over exaggeration here at all from my from my point of view from my vantage point. This Los Angeles Dodgers team is might be the best Major League Baseball team of a generation. It it, it is so good. Every single pitch, every single out is a struggle with this team. Their defense is incredible. Their starting pitching is very good. Their bullpen is so deep. Their bench is deep. Their management isn't that great. Dave Roberts sometimes manages himself out of a win occasionally. But overall, the whole package, one through nine, you don't get two or three batters at the end of the lineup that you can just kind of walk through and just kind of exhale until you get to the top of the lineup. Every facet of this team is as good as I've ever seen. And the Braves beat their ass for Three quarters of that damn series. Oh, four hour games. Trying to prepare for radio shows and podcasts and watching these games every night, no days off. Exhausting. Every day, just knots in my stomach. I cared more than maybe I would have in the regular setting. I can't know that. I don't know that, but maybe. Oh, and here we are two days later. The World Series is now underway. I'm not watching a lick of it. I, I can't. Can't stop me. I'm having PTSD the way we lost this damn lost, lost this damn series. Oh, God. It's painful and paining me to even talk about it. But just the main acknowledgement here is I was dead wrong. I wanted it, and in a lot of ways, I needed it. But the Braves should be playing in the World Series right now. And all the, well, if I told you back in whatever day that they'd have done this and done that without this and that. Hey, the goalposts move, all right? Expectations change. I'm not in the, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dwell on the what we just did, what we just failed to do for a little while. And I'll worry about the rosy nature of the, you know, the, the, the glass half full crap about how we were going places. I'll do that at another time. That hurts. That still hurts. Two days later, I'm still down in the dumps. And I think I will be until the until the season is completely over and I don't have to hear about it anymore. Start getting into, you know, hot stove league as they call it. But all right. Enough about that. Um I did go to Neyland Stadium over the weekend. If the friend just hit me up and said, Hey, um, you wanna go? And he's one of those guys that if he invites you something, most of the time everything's pretty much on him. One of those kind of guys, and so it's like you don't want to, uh, you don't want to pass that up because it doesn't happen all that often. I'm not in his regular running of circles, but for some reason he thought about me in this situation, and I was like, Nah, man, I got Braves baseball to watch, dude. I can't. I'm not sitting at Neyland while this while these games are being played. Turns out the timing worked out perfectly with a noon game and then an evening start to the ball game, and so uh, I said, Okay, yeah, sure, let's not pass it up. Gorgeous day. And, uh, I mean, the Vols are dumb. I don't like, I don't care anything about the Vols. I think it's funny to watch them lose. I think it's funny to, uh, see their fans in misery. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't troll them. Uh, speaking of like Jeremy Mahoney, again, sorry for most people who don't know who Jeremy is, but, uh, fun, fun t- time watching his social media troll Vols fans. I don't do that. I just deep down inside laugh and just look around and say, this is so pathetic to be so into uh, such a stupid thing like college football. But, you know, a lot of people say the same thing about the things I'm into, so that's fine. But I'll tell you what, last time I went to Neyland Stadium was in 2005. 
And I was a pretty big Vols fan when I was young. When I was high school, you know, their national championship run, and then post-high school, and then just a short, or a little bit outside of college age, is when I started to realize, I don't care anything about this team. I don't care anything about these kids. I didn't go to school here. What's what? What's the what's the ruckus over here? What's the fuss? So I went to Steve Spurrier's first game back at Neyland Stadium with the uh, Gamecocks with South Carolina uh, around Halloween, uh, October 2005. And that place is a sardine can. It is awful. It is too big and just a mess. And back then you couldn't get anything to drink. And it was just, I left at halftime. And I and went to I think O Charlie's was still around when O Charlie's was like cool back then. It actually was a pretty cool O Charlie's, but to watch a game and I didn't know any better at that age anyway. And I said I'm never I'll never go to this stadium again, never. And I've been invited countless times, many times where it's offered complimentary, like because I'd never pay. Sure as hell would never pay. And um, and so when I knew the capacity was reduced, I thought, well, if I'm gonna go, this is the time to go. And it, I had a blast. I loved it. I had so much fun. I could do jumping jacks in my seat, uh, you know, masked up. And um, they lost. <laughs> Got basically just embarrassed by Kentucky, uh, which that was fun to see. I didn't gloat. I barely watched it. I was just talking to people. Um, and I was walking around looking at the stadium. It is a really, really cool structure. Like the building itself is pretty awesome. It really is. I'm a stadium geek. I'm a, especially baseball stadium dork ballpark dork but um i appreciate any any structures that 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 uh, hold audiences for anything especially you know mainly speaking sports uh, arenas and stadiums and it is so cool you certain areas of it are still real old it feels like you know an old an old rudy movie or whatever where you got the the paint the way that it is and just the slabs of concrete everywhere and it's, it's there's a real primitive charm to it and then you hang a left and then you're in a palace like that's been completely renovated that almost looks like a like a, a a vols history hall of fame hall almost but it's you know it's common areas with the concessions and stuff it's got a little mix of both it's got certain areas of the stadium where it feels like you got in the delorean and you went back to 1955 and then got back in the delorean and went to 2050 and um it's a really neat mix they didn't they didn't just redo every single bit of it they just did portions in um, in certain areas, and I didn't go around the entire place, but uh, I thought it was pretty awesome. I thought it was pretty cool. Very, very gorgeous day. Very, very nice time. And made it back in time to uh, see the first pitch of game six, and we lost, and that made the day suck. And then the, the Titans on Sunday, and I know I said I was going to wrap this up shortly, and once again, I don't do it, um, played an amazing game, as you heard with uh, Tony and Mike, from Pardon the Eruption, talking about it on the front end of the show, it was one of those kinds of games that would get me flying off the seat of, my, uh, of the couch and losing my, my bleep over everything, and I was so stressed over Game 7. Like, it was, I was bedridden stressed. I was also a little hungover, but <laughs> hungovers never kept me from watching football. Um, I was taking uh, Klonopin early in the day because I was just I was that out of my mind over a stupid ass baseball game. I watched the end of the Titans game, but I didn't have any emotion. It didn't it didn't ha- I didn't have an emotion emotional swing. That's how debilitated I have been because of this dumb asshole baseball team. Um but that was awesome. I'll get it back into my system and I can't wait to start watching some Titans every week and get that emotion back. 
the art of rhetoric, rhetorical approaches to persuasion is something that's not new and uh, I, and is not new to me even here recently, but been reading a little bit, some pieces, some uh, Twitter following, and several different opinion pieces, professors, those types, all lead back to pretty much the same conclusion. Donald Trump is a rhetorical genius. And I'll dive more into that coming up next. More of Stone On Air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At stoneonair.com. My guest today is author of the new Texas A&M University Press volume, Demagogue for President, the Rhetorical Genius of Donald Trump. Jennifer Murchia writes about American political discourse, especially as it relates to citizenship, democracy, and the presidency, and has authored previously two books about political rhetoric, Founding Fictions and the Rhetoric of Heroic Expectations, Establishing the Obama Presidency. How does he do it? How do they do it uncanny and immutable? This is such a happening tailpipe of a party. Like sugar, the guests are so refined. This is Pearl Jam. The song is called Bush Leaguer from 2003. It's not about Trump. It's about George Bush, obviously, but some of it applies. We'll listen for a second. A confidence man, but why so beleaguered? He's not a leader. He's a Texas leaguer. Swinging for the fence. Got lucky with a strike. Drilling for fear makes the job simple. Born on third, thinks he got a triple. Drilling for fear, it makes the job simple. Born on third, thinks he got a triple. Welcome back in. I remember when you sang that song about today, now it's tomorrow, and everything has changed. I don't remember if I mentioned this on the open or not. You can bet on the uh, prop bets on the debate coming up on Thursday, if you happen to be listening to this before that, uh, because of, of course you can. What color will Trump's tie be? What issue will the first debate topic address? Will Trump refer to Biden as Sleepy Joe? Will Trump mention fake news? Um, How will the candidates greet each other? Which candidate will be asked to respond first in the debate? There's what color Trump's tie will be again. Will Trump refer to Biden? Yeah, that's another one the same as I've already said. Will Biden and or the moderator mention Trump's Twitter activity? And there's several more... um, Several more too. So, if that's your thing, if you're a degenerate gambler, you've got plenty to uh, plenty of money you can put on the line. FanDuel, I think, is who's doing it. Might be a couple different. I'm sure there's DraftKings. I'm sure there's plenty of them out there doing it. So, um, what got my attention was this professor of from um, Texas A&M. Her name is Jennifer Murchia. That's who the PBS host of the show was. Just found it on YouTube somewhere. I don't know what show it was. Was introducing her. And I follow her on Twitter. She's uh, very much against the entire ideology and approach and rhetoric from uh, President Trump. But she's very, she, she's very um, interesting and respectful in the way that she posts 
on those subjects. And uh, her book is called, I think I already mentioned it, uh, Demagogue for President, the genius, the rhetorical genius of Don Trump. So just real quick, the art of rhetoric. According to Aristotle, rhetoric is the ability in each particular case to see the available means of persuasion. He described three main forms of of rhetoric, ethos, logos, and pathos. The ethos is the appeal based on the character of the speaker. An ethos-driven document relies on the reputation of the author. The logos appeal is based on logic or reason. Documents distributed by companies or corporations are logos-driven. Scholarly documents are also often logos-driven, and then pathos is appeal based on emotion. That's where you'll find, you know, advertisements tend to be pathos-driven. Um, this is the first one that caught my eye, or another one anyway, that says the rhetorical brilliance of Trump, the demagogue. I'm just going to read a uh, about a paragraph and a half from this. It is from Reuters, Jonathan Drake, an opinion piece from uh, a little ways back. This isn't that uh, recent, actually. Uh, same, co- same, same topic matter than subject matter. As a scholar of American political rhetoric, I write about and teach courses on the use and abuse of rhetorical strategy in public discourse. Scrutinizing Trump's rhetorical skills can partially explain his profound and persistent appeal. The rhetoric of demagoguery. The Greek word demagogue, demos, equals people, plus agogos, agogos, equals leader, literally means, quote, a leader of the people. Today, however, is used to describe a leader who capitalizes on popular prejudices, makes false claims and promises, and uses arguments based on emotion rather than reason. Donald Trump appeals to voters' fears by depicting a nation in crisis while positioning himself as the nation's hero, the only one who can conquer our foes, secure our borders, and make America great again. Trump's self-congratulating rhetoric makes him appear to be the epitome of hubris which, according to research, is often the least attractive quality of a potential leader. However, Trump is so consistent in his hubris that it appears authentic. His greatness is America's greatness. And for right now, I'm not going to scream conspiracy theory and say that him getting COVID-19 was fake or some kind of conspired stunt Amongst the doctors and his administration and himself and his wife and you know, press secretary and everybody else to fool Americans into thinking that that he actually had this and defeated it so definitively, proving how amazing he is or an approach of how beatable this is and just trying to change a narrative. In a world that we, we live in that feels like it's completely factless, it's difficult for me to not go that direction, but I, for other than what I just said, I won't go that direction. But that's what he's the rhetoric he's using, whether this is completely authentic or not. That is certainly the rhetoric he's using currently with just two weeks left to go before the real bleep hits the fan and the real wildness of this year will, will start, in my opinion. That this is just getting started in a wild, crazy political campaign year. It ain't over in two weeks. It's not. It's not over. This thing's gonna go for a very long time, and a lot of unprecedentedly odd, weird, scary, and potentially dangerous things. I think. <clears throat> excuse me. I think 
are on the horizon. But that's less about what I'm doing in this segment right now and more about the approach that he uses, how he uses it, why he uses it. Jennifer Murchia, again, the author of that book from Texas A&M. She's a professor of rhetoric. This is um, just right off the bat. She's talking about the title of the book and is does she genuinely mean that Trump is a genius. Let me make sure and turn that up there. And all right, there we go. Yeah, it is a controversial thing, right? So Trump will tell you he's a genius. He'll tell you he's a rhetorical genius. Um, He also tells you not to pay any attention to the way he says things that concern over how he says it is, you know, concern over political correctness or is um, women trying to police men. Um, He is very consistent in the strategies that he uses. He uses strategies that are designed to do very specific things that he needs to do in the moment, whether that's attract attention or divert attention or um, you know, threaten people. He's very good at knowing the right thing to say to prevent himself from being held accountable. So a demagogue is an unaccountable leader, and Donald Trump is a genius, unfortunately, at using rhetoric to prevent himself from being held accountable. Um, This is the longest clip that I have. The other ones will be shorter. I have six in total. Um, She goes on to say it's more about the undermining of political norms and projecting. Um, Some of this is a little bit over my head and what it exactly means. It's part of the reason for doing this segment. In rhetorical terms, we would call that a tukokwe, which is an appeal to hypocrisy, um, which is a dominant figure of our era, really. Um, it's a way of undermining um, trust, right? So a person doesn't have standing because they're complicit, or a person doesn't have standing because they have done it too, or you know, whatever. There's lots of different ways that you can make that claim. Well, Trump does that sort of widespread, and so um, it sounds like he's he's projecting, but what he's trying to do is undermine. Um, so what he really, what he does that I've noticed. Um, that is authoritarian and is demagoguery um, is using the two quoque, but also he uses ad baculum, which are threats of force or intimidation. Um, and he's just a master at wielding communication as force. So whether that's overwhelming the news cycle or whether it's saying, um, you know, reporters will be sued for liable or that media companies are going, going down the tubes or, um, you know, threatening people who are protesting him in rallies. You know, those are all different ways that he exerts force over the conversation in a way that it's very difficult to respond to him. Um, And he just is able to use that force to dominate the conversation. Kind of started with the the failing New York Times, um, calling Comcast, Concast, ways to kind of uh, interject entertainment and humor while also being uh, disrespectful. He's been recently uh, purposely saying Kamala Harris's name wrong, which really is kind of a, a real blatant uh, just slap in the face of disrespect is when you, especially, you know, purposely do it, but to, you know, that person's so, so unimportant that I'll, you know, I don't even know, how, I don't even know their name, that kind of thing. Um, here, this one, she talks about the, the rhetorical presidency era meaning that uh, from her her evaluation anyway, uh, pre-Teddy Roosevelt, president's messages were more filtered as far as their reach to the people. And a lot of this just has to do with technology. Um, the, there was kind of a wall of media they had to go through. 
for, through radio and then the primitive days of, of television. And um, as technology grew, the footprint for presidents to have more rhetoric that is more that they can control more was post Teddy Roosevelt. Prior to about Teddy Roosevelt, that didn't happen. There was a lot of restraint from the executive branch, and there wasn't a um, tradition of presidents speaking directly to the people. Um, from Teddy Roosevelt through the 20th century, we have the rhetorical presidency era, which is where the president goes over the head of Congress, speaks directly to the people, tries to use the people to put pressure on Congress to get um, the president's agenda passed. And in so doing, um, we have, have elevated the presidency um, at the expense of Congress. And some people think we've disfigured the Constitution in doing that. So I've never heard of the, uh, that uh, terminology, the rhetorical presidency era. So rhetoric has been used by countless presidents. It's just Donald Trump has his own kind of uh, immature-ish, bullying, um, but very convincing and entertaining version of it, more on the rhetorical presidency era. Um, and so that really created this situation where candidates and presidents really needed to figure out a way to go around, right. you know, these media gatekeepers. Um, and so George W. Bush was the first one that we noticed doing it. Um, if you think about what Obama did in 2008, um, he texted people, <laughs> right? So he communicated information like who his choice for vice president would be directly to his supporters via text message. He had um, an email database of tens of millions of people that he could communicate with directly. He was connected to 90% of the American electorate via Facebook, uh, right? So all of the techniques that we've seen Trump use, actually Obama used first and very successfully in 2008 and 2012. Yeah, and uh, President Obama was the, I mean, it was just timing that it worked out so well that social media boom was ha uh, happening right as um, as he was being elected his first term and it was becoming more and more widespread by the time his second term came around. Um, Don Trump uses the rhetorical style just like many have this, you know, in the last couple of generations, but he uses what uh, what Jennifer Murcia calls the attention economy. So where Trump is different is that he is modern day presidential. Um, so he uses the post rhetorical presidency of speaking directly to the people going around the news filter, going over the heads of Congress. But he does it in a way that is designed to be entertaining and engaging. So he works in the attention economy the same way that every app, <laughs> every TV show, every social media feed does. Um, and he has figured out that outrage is a recipe for getting the nation's attention. He's been very successful at it. This is my final cut here on the Stone on Air uh, podcast. It's Trump, um, you know, the question was about Lindsey Graham and um, Mitch McConnell and others who have now been emboldened to be more like him. And, um, yeah, and it, that's very true. It's not just he's emboldened a, a large percentage of the country, if not the entire country, to act like bigger assholes than we normally would. Uh, but certainly uh, the, the base has been emboldened to say and do things they wouldn't normally do, and so have his, his fellow colleagues in the Senate and, uh, and in Congress as well. And um, it's created a culture of, of, of the excitement of violating social and cultural norms. Trump has enabled the Republican Party to enjoy the pleasure of violating norms, 
right? So when Trump gets away with doing something, then other people realize they can get away with doing it too. Everyone who attends a Trump rally um, enjoys the pleasure of violating the norms of political correctness. When you see the things that people are saying, wearing on their shirts, um, it's really toxic. And there's a pleasure in that. Um, it might be a sadistic pleasure, but um, you know, people really are are seeing Trump as a vehicle for breaking the rules. It's interesting stuff. It really is. Jennifer Murchia, a professor of rhetoric at Texas A&M. And um, as I always say with most politicians, not all of them, but most of them, they're not dumb. They're not stupid people. In most cases, they're some of the most educated, especially in the world of law. Um, people that you're ever going to come in contact with or come aware of. And the uh, the constituents are the dummies, are the numbnuts, are the numbskulls. They're, they're the idiots. They're the ones that can be easily fooled. They're the ones that can be that can be manipulated. And so these giant political powers understand this and they use it in different variations through rhetoric, and all kinds of other strategies, and that's half the battle. That's half the battle. And, boy, we got some dummies in this country and um, dummies in the whole world. But it's interesting stuff. So, yeah, Don Trump, he ain't dumb. He's not a dumb guy. I don't, I don't find him to be an overly intellectually smart type, but he's not stupid. All right, let's see. Let's wrap this thing up here. Coming up next, we'll just have some fun screwing around. Uh, hopefully uh, you'll enjoy it as much as I have enjoyed it. Uh, maybe it'll give you the uh, the itch to finally scratch to download the TikTok app. I'm telling you, it's fun. It's awesome. You're just wasting all your time on Instagram. That Instagram's now turned itself into a piece of crap. Like Twitter and Facebook and now Instagram are just, God, it's boring and just stupid stuff. TikTok is a lot of fun, and I'll give you some examples of that coming up next. Now back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stoneonair.com. So I finally figured out the difference between Republicans and Democrats. So Republicans are extremely proud of themselves, while Democrats are very ashamed of themselves. So Republicans would be like, I fucking love America, baby. It's the number one country in the goddamn world, America. And then Democrats would be like, Actually, America's like 36 in the world for like education and health care, etc. Slavery. Blah. And then also, who do you think would say this phrase? I'm proud to be a straight, white, kind of Christian, cisgendered person. Republican. Good job, class. Because Democrats would say, ugh, fuck white people. Ugh. Keep on rocking in the free world. Uh, from 1990s Freedom. Might be 89. I think it's 1989's Freedom. It's the acoustic version of Neil Young rocking the free world. So that's just an example of just some guy that I see on TikTok. And he's just, in this case, just talking right into his phone. No special effects or any kind of, you know, bouncing around things with videos and slides or anything like that. And it, it sucks recently. I forgot. Not all these are TikToks. A couple of them are not TikToks. But um, I wanted to do more and more of these. But they don't all translate to an audio-only format. And now that I've been using TikTok so often, 
the algorithms are picking up on the things that I'm I'm focusing on more, and it's starting to show me more of those things. And since I've been kind of obsessed with the cooking nature of the people who make these videos, I'm I'm spending more time on those and liking some of them because I want to go back and remember how they did it to try it at my house sometime. And so now it's giving me more and more and more cooking stuff, which is fine, except it's making me have to weed through all that to try to get to the random silly funny stuff because that stuff's everywhere also. But I don't like anything that's the random silly funny stuff unless I know for sure I'm going to use it as to not clog up my my feed and the algorithms all the way around. So I, I, I'm sure there's a way to customize it a little bit better. I'm sure. I don't know how, and I don't have uh, a lot of uh, uh, disposable time in my life to spend trying to figure out how TikTok works exactly. I just want to get in there and just start scrolling. So anyway, I realized, damn it, I can't find you know as many of these as I'd like that will translate well. So I've got six TikToks here, and um, two, I believe, are just from Twitter. Either way, I think they're all worth doing. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump right in. This is another one from that same guy we just heard from, and it's another one about the differences of uh, the GOP and Democrats. America's split between Democrat and Republican, which is really city folk versus rural folk. Like I live in L.A. and these city folk hate rural folk because they're racist and sexist, transphobic, bigots, all that kind of stuff. The truth of it is, is that these small towns aren't diverse, right? They're traditionally white, straight, lower middle class. Like I doubt they've ever met a trans person in their life. And the root of all fear comes from the unknown. That's why they hate these people. But they care deeply about the people right in front of them. Broken down on the side of the road, they're gonna help you out. Need a cup of sugar? Your neighbors got you. Now, city folk like LA, we care about everyone. Gay, black, trans, you name it. We care because city's diverse. Except we don't give a fuck about the person right in front of us. <laughs> you know how many homeless people we step over to get a $7 kombucha? Shit, even our friends. Oh, you need a ride to LAX? Go fuck yourself. The point is, everyone sucks. <laughs> that was his bad edit because he ran out of time. Uh, so true, too. It's it's hilarious because it's true. Um, this is another this is a guy who just basically does little comedy skits is the main thing, and it's all kinds of different themes. Some of them are ridiculous. Some of them, of them are pretty funny. This one I liked because I like anything that jokes and clowns on pretentious douchebag craft beer types. Can you grab me a beer? Yeah, for sure. Any preference? Do you have an IPA? Uh, am I wearing a flannel shirt? <laughs> Classic. Do you have any black shirt? No, I've never heard of that one. Oh, it's great. It's like 9% alcohol by volume, and you know the way cardboard smells? It tastes like that. Oh, wow, I gotta try that. I actually, uh, I got one I think you might like. It's called, uh, She's on Top. Oh, I think I've heard of that. Are they local? Yeah, I actually, uh, took a tour of the brewery last Arbor Day. Oh, yeah? How was it? Oh, so cool. Do you have any Dan's girlfriend? No, that sounds familiar, though. Oh, they're great. They taste like you're drinking pine cones mixed with the spare change in your glove compartment. Oh, yeah. I think I had one of those at the uh, Mumford & Sons concert last August. The staff is so cool. I follow them on Instagram. All the guys have long hair and all the girls have short well, hair. Well, if you like that, you're going to love this one. It's called uh, it's called Tattoo Sleep. Basically, it tastes like sort of a, a blend of like chewing tobacco, toxic masculinity, and that old baseball bat in your parents' garage. Uh, I love it. I uh, love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, this is not a TikTok. This is um, uh, this is Dave O'Brien. The, the audio is not great here, so forgive me on this. It's just worth doing. It's Dave O'Brien from the AJC uh, talking to a Braves pitcher, uh, Mark Melanson, the closer, after they almost blew game two. They uh, squeaked out a one-run game, and they're up 2-0. 
and he's at, and I love Dave. He does some good work, but just asinine question: Can you take a positive out of this when they're up 2-0 in the in the series? I get what he's where he's coming from. You almost blew the lead. It got really scary there for a minute. Can you take a positive out of that? And dude was like, "The hell are you talking about, man?" Mark, can you look at this as, uh, yeah, you guys almost blew the entire league, but can you look at it as, hey, we survived, and that's all the postseason is about. You showed something there in the end by, you know, against a team like that. I mean, you're up 2 0 now. However, you got there. I don't. I mean, can you take a positive out of it, even though you blew most of that lead? You still blew the lead. I don't, I don't really understand your question. Can you still take something positive out of this? You're still up 2-0 in the series despite, you know, blowing a big lead. Can you leave this thing feeling, you know, good that you survived this game? I think that's a terrible question. I'm not even going to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I sometimes wish we, not sometimes, way more often got uh, players answering dumb questions like that this is my guy i play him on the show all the time if you're regular you already know his name's brent taroon and um he plays a satire political satire uh, uh maga type and um this was uh indigenous people's day christopher columbus that whole thing is columbus day was just last week let's see where it is there it is right now you remember christopher columbus at least some of us still do You remember the rhyme in 1492, Columbus went and triggered you. I'm talking about you liberals. You know, because he was looking for a trade route to China, and he found some land, and his first words were probably, God damn, all these Asians look pretty black and Hispanic to me, but hell, a slave's a slave. Go ahead and give them some diseases they won't be able to recover from. You want to celebrate Indigenous People's Day. And after I looked up what that is, it started to fog up my Oakleys. Because Christopher Columbus is the man we need to be honoring today. Christopher Columbus. He discovered America the same way white people discovered the blues. So today, I'm going to be raising my emotional support beard of Christopher Columbus. I got my tri-corner hat around here somewhere. I got a faulty GPS in his honor. So here's to you, Christopher Columbus. Thanks for everything, big dog. <laughs> I love it. All right, three more. These are all TikToks. Uh, this one is funny. It's a little, I don't know if creepy. It's not cr- cringeworthy. I think cringeworthy is probably the way to put it. And I've been sitting on it for weeks and didn't know if I was going to use it on the radio. And then I did. And I figured, what the hell? We'll use it on uh, the podcast. This is a, you want to come and take my guns guy. You going to come take my guns? Come, come take these guns. I got a message for all you liberals out there. You want my gun, my firearm? Come take it from me. Just walk through my door, come into my home and take it from me. With your weak, soft, liberal, girlish hands. Just try to put those hands on me. Those soft, liberal hands. Put them on me, on my body. Just slowly, gently dragging your fingers up and down my arm, giving me goosebumps. You want my gun? Come kiss me for it. But not like right away. Don't be too obvious with it. Let's do that thing where we our faces get close to each other. And you know what's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. You just stare at each other's lips. But you're waiting for the right signal to give yourself over to them completely. Like in a walk to remember. Come do that for my gun. Bite my lip and play with my hair for my fire wrong. If you want my gun, come spank me for it. Not like, not, not like too hard, but like, like still hard, you know? Like, like, like hurt me, but make me feel safe at the same time. 
you pussy liberals. <laughs> oh, it's so great. And then a lot of the videos people make, and a lot of what TikTok is, is kind of recycling stuff. That's a part I'm a little annoyed by because you'll hear some of the same things just done by different people, which, you know, it's fine. I can get over that. But so a lot of these, will, there'll be reaction videos to that. So then they'll play that while they show and they claim it's you know the first time somebody's seen it. I don't know if that's true or not, but even those in their uh, own different way are um, are really really funny. Uh, final two here. This is according to the little you know the little clip a lesson in middle or high school or whatever it is in 2070 in the year 2070 uh, giving the lesson plan of the history of the year 2020. Good morning, class. Today we will begin our lesson on 2020, the year where Australia burned down, World War III almost ensued, the world shut due to a mass global pandemic that killed hundreds of thousands of people, the President of the United States went on live national TV and told its citizens to inject Lysol into their bloodstreams, the government released official UFO footage, and North Korea considered inaugurating a female leader into a patriarchal government because their original one died of a botched heart surgery. That seems like a lot to have happened in just one year. Actually, that was just the first four months. This is going to be a long lesson. So you get a lot of stuff like that. It's not necessarily funny. It was just kind of, it was a well done video and, uh, you know, 2020 kind of stuff. All right. That's uh, almost it. One more to go here. We'll wrap up the show this week. I got to hurry up and get the damn radio show put together now as it's almost uh, 10 o'clock on uh, Tuesday before the release day of this, which generally speaking, every Wednesday is when I try to make that happen. This is just some, you know, made up. Uh, campaign ad for uh, Trump 2020. Trump 2020. Fuck you. Of course, we realize that after lying to you, robbing you, and getting your loved ones killed, some of you might be contemplating not voting for us. But don't worry. That's why we've adopted our deregister millions of you policy, as well as our closed polling stations, file lawsuits, and let's spread bullshit about voter fraud policy. And if that's still not enough, well, maybe we'll just cancel the election. Trump 2020. Now get back to work, America. Our stocks won't make them themselves go up you pieces of shit god bless america except portland and chicago <laughs> so good so good so maybe uh maybe my you know kind of uh avalanche of tiktok at you here recently might be annoying you and make you not want to check it out my guess is it might make you want to and it's not just for children doing their stupid dances and for uh it's for anybody it's a, it's an all a welcome all ages kind of app all right that's it enough uh you know what sucking of uh social media out of china all right so that's it i'm done uh have you watched the debate good luck i'm gonna try my best to not watch it even though i'll have a radio show the next day so that means i probably will but i don't know we'll see hey uh like and share and give me any kind of reviews if you get around to it uh, it's i got no problem admitting this the last month or so, from the only real analytics vantage point I have to look at, I'm I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm not adding more. I'm going lesser on a lot of the uh, engagements on social medias and um, and the SoundCloud page, which I've been talking for a year about trying to get out from underneath and going a different route, but I just not ever gotten around to it. So I don't know if that means people don't like it or what. I'm not sure. I get it. This is not what a normal podcast is. And I'm not, you know, it doesn't. I don't 
do anything to the ego or anything like that. I don't barely have an ego. I think I can't believe you're here listening to this anyway. So if you get around to it and you know how to do that, I'd appreciate it. If not, hell, the fact that you're here is good enough for me. All right, have a good one. Talk to you again uh, next week, hopefully on Wednesday, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll get through this together, see how the, the end of this very, very concerning year is uh, is on its way. So there you go. See you later. Bye.